service and wound up repeating a bunch of stuff. This time it's, it's my turn. Uh, the title for the lesson that I put together tonight is called The World and You. Um, it's going to touch on a little bit what uh, Mr. Dyer spoke about this morning, uh, so you may hear a couple of familiar things, but hopefully I'll hit it from a different angle to, uh, to, to get a, just maybe a couple of different ideas uh, in. Now when you talk about the world, now what are some of the things that come to mind? Well, you have the earth, the actual planet. Um, you have the people that live on the earth, which is usually a better thing to think of. Uh, more specifically, when you think of the world, you may think of the people you see on TV, the names you know, the people you see in your day-to-day -day life. Uh, that's kind of what I'm going to be talking about. These are people that you may have to deal with, people that you talk with, associate with at work, you know, things like that. And unfortunately, when we say the world or people of the world, we're talking about people who are away from God. They're not godly. They're not members of the church. Some of them may not even go to church. And if they do, uh, it may be a denomination or, or something like that. Now, what we're going to kind of hit on tonight is what the world expects from you, you being a Christian. What the world expects from you, or just being a person in general. Then we're going to touch on what God expects from us. We're going to talk about the conflict between the two. And, and we'll get into that uh, in just a second. And number one, above all, the world expects you to agree with them. They expect you to, you know, whatever they think is good, you better think it's good or they're not going to like it. Um, whatever you, you know, whatever they think is entertaining, you should think is entertaining too. Because if you're not, then you're just weird. You know, hey, what are you talking about? That's not fun. Well, you can kind of look at a couple of different points, and I've got three points. You know, what the world thinks is entertaining, what the world thinks is exciting, and what the world thinks is important. We're going to look at these three things and, and, and discuss it from there. First of all, what's entertaining? Well, most of the time when somebody thinks about entertainment, the first thing that pops into their mind is like TVs, movies, and I guess for my generation, video games and stuff like that. Um, I found a couple of statistics uh, about TV and movies that I thought was well, were pretty interesting. The average American, uh, I, there's not a level range, this was done by the A.C. Nielsen Company, which is, they're the ones that do the, the TV ratings and all that. The average American watches more than four hours of TV a day. Now, if this average American goes to be 65 years old, that's nine years of their life. Nine years out of 65 years. If you assume sleep for eight hours a day, that means you're awake for 16 hours. Four hours a day is one-fourth of their entire waking time during a day that they spend watching TV, the average American. Now, watching TV a lot isn't really, you know, scripturally bad. It's really the content that you watch that's, that's important. By the time the average child finishes elementary school, they will have seen 8,000 murders on TV. 8,000. Not just shows about murder, but actually the physical violent act of murder. 8,000 times the average uh, American child by the time they're finished with elementary school. By the time the average teen is 18 years old, they will have seen 200,000 acts of violence. Physical violence including blood, stuff like that. 200,000 by the time they're 18. Now it's not only in shows that people make up, but it's also in the news, you know. Uh, Percentage is 53.8% of all news broadcasts are about crime, disaster, or war. 53.8%, half of it. 
more over half of it. Now, for my generation, and, and I guess people uh, a little bit younger than I am, video games is probably the number one form of entertainment that we have. The best-selling video game of all time, and you may not be able to relate to this, but you can understand the, the, uh, the issue, the best, the mo most selling video game sold over 12 million copies. Now, these are 50 bucks a piece. So over 12 million copies of this game sold. It's a game based on gang violence. You shoot people. You beat up people. You can you make your character go and sleep with a prostitute and then beat up the prostitute and take the money back that you just paid to do it. This is not a good game. This, movie, this video game came out in 2000, sold 12 million copies. The only one that beat it was its sequel that came out three years later. And that was the number one game in all of the video game history until its sequel came out. And then it, the third installation of that game, became the number one selling video game of all time. This same video game series is about to release a fourth one at the end of this year, and it's going to blow everything out of the water, if, if you ask my opinion. Um, most of the kids that play these games are 18 to 30. That's the age range. Uh, the reason that is is because people kind of got angry at the content of these games and started the, the rating system, which is a good thing. Most parents don't pay attention to it. Game says, you know, includes graphic violence, you know, mature language, all that stuff. Has a mature rating on it. They'll buy it for their kids anyways. They just want, you know, let the video game system babysit the kids. You know, we don't have to worry about it. I consider that a big problem. Um, if you think just the past couple of weeks, the big thing that's happened, spring break. You know, college and high school kids flock to the beach, you know, Cancun, Myrtle Beach, Panama City, whatever, and go to spring break. Now, when I was in high school and college, that was the big thing. I'm sure it still is now. You know, it's, this is a week away from mom and dad, a week away from anybody who's going to care what you do, except for your friends. And uh, when I was in college, we had a, uh, one of my fraternity brothers, his name was Ben Bohannon. He was a member of the church. This was before I met Ann, before I, you know, became a, a member of the church or anything. I thought he was weird because he didn't drink. He didn't go out to the dance club when we went. We'd invite him to go, and he'd be like, no, I'm going to go home and, you know, read a book or study or whatever. It's like, who is this? What are you coming to college for? You don't even, you're not even having fun. Well, hindsight being 2020, I really respect Ben a lot for, for, for how he handled himself, you know, because here we are, fraternity brothers. you got 30 guys together. We're all going having fun, and he, you know, leaves to go study. You know, I look back on it now, and, and, and I respect him a lot for the choices he made. But uh, I got some other statistics here uh, that I thought were, were rather shocking uh, about spring break. And uh, University of Wisconsin study said that 75% of college males and 44% of college females were intoxicated every day of spring break. Every day. This, if, if you want to say all, you know, 11 days or just uh, the seven the week. Every day of spring break, 75% of college males were intoxicated and 44% of college females. Every day. Um, of those studied in the study, 50% uh, of the half of the males and 40% of the females said that they passed out because they were so drunk during spring break. Passed out. I don't, I'm sure none of you have had the experience, but I've had to clean up after some people in a fraternity party, and passing out, you look like you're dead. If somebody were wanted to take your money, if somebody wanted to take your clothes, you wouldn't really be able to do anything about it. You're passed out. You're out. 
And one of the more shocking things about spring break is now with that, as you, you know, drive away from family and friends, you know, you lose that sense of, of authority. You know, there's nobody there to watch over you. And uh, this, is a, this was a study done by the American Medical Association, so a highly respected group. Approximately 50% of students who went on spring break had friends who had sex with more than one person on spring break. So half of the people you know, who were studied said they had a friend who had more than one partner while they were on spring break. More than likely strangers. Uh, just uh, Approximately three out of five women had friends who had unprotected sex during spring break. <coughs> uh, women reported a 74% increase in their sexual activity during spring break. You can kind of see where, where this is headed. And approximately two out of five women, this is, this is the one that, that caught me, two out of five women, that's 40% of the women, they can remember having sex, but they can't remember if it was consensual or not. They can't remember if they wanted to. They remember doing it, but they can't remember if they wanted to. They can't remember if they were forced to do it or, or what have you. Basically related to alcohol. And this... Spring break thing is is a big deal. Uh, Panama City, uh, Daytona Beach, all these they wouldn't be there if it weren't for spring break. That's what those cities live on. You know the the influx of money from these kids getting hotel rooms, buying stuff in the stores, one time a year for a period of about a month and a half, depending on where you live, where you ha when you have spring break, about a month and a half. The income from that time period sustains these cities for an entire year until it comes around again. Um, another, that was sorry. That was my second point. The, the what's exciting. Uh, my third point uh, about the world: what's important. And a lot of things you can judge. You know what a society deems important by what's on the news, what they consider newsworthy. Uh, some of the big topics you see now is is people's lifestyle. You know, I have the right to live the way I want to live, and you can't tell me I can't do it. Of course, most of this is centering around gay marriage and same-sex couples and uh, same-sex unions, all that stuff. And above that, it's we're also dealing with with cohabitation and unmarried unmarried people. In the 2000 uh, census that the uh, United States government uh, made, of course, this was seven years ago, so I'm sure the numbers are larger. There were 9.7 million unmarried uh, heterosexual couples living together with children. 9.7 million couples living together with children. So double that, that's you know, 19 million people. 18.4 million, 19.4 million people. There were 1.2 million unmarried homosexual couples with children. This was in 2000. Now think of, think of the difference in, in, in the government's look on gay marriage and stuff from the year 2000 to what it is now. It's not a very good trend for us, but this is what the world wants. This is what the world is going to. And if, if you know, the news media is any sort of indication, um, one of the most important things that's happened in the past three weeks is, uh, is Anna Nicole Smith's death. I mean, if any of y'all noticed that, you turn channels and no matter where you're at, Anna Nicole Smith died, Anna Nicole Smith this. We found out why she died. Hey, we, nobody killed her, we found out what happened. Two, two months almost worth of time was spent on this person. There was nothing specifically notable about this person except that she got pic had pictures taken of her with her clothes off, 
She was a drug addict, alcohol abuse. She died from a drug overdose. Um, she obviously had numerous sexual partners. This whole scandal about who her, the father of her child was and nobody knew. I mean, this is not a person that is a role model. This is not a newsworthy uh, thing, but this is all that the world wanted to, wanted to tell you about, wanted to know about. This was their big top story uh, for the past almost two months. Now, it's obvious that that example is not the one we need to follow. It's, I mean, just, I can probably stop right now and you can understand what the rest of the lesson is going to be. You know, the, the separation between what the world wants and what God wants is, is growing by the minute. You know, what, is, what does God expect of us? When I say us, I mean Christians. What does God expect of you? Well, instead of following the world's example, God wants us to follow Jesus' example. He wants us to, you know, and even more importantly, set an example for the world. Um, in uh, John uh, 13 and verse 15, it says, For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. 1 Timothy 4 and uh, verse 12, Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. In 1 Peter 2 and verse 21, For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. You know, in, uh, in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3, it tells us that Christ is the brightness of God's glory, and the express image of his person, upholding all things by the word of his power. Those of us that choose to follow Christ, choose to follow his example, are joined to him through baptism. And in uh, Galatians chapter 3, we have kind of an interesting statement. I've used this analogy before, but I think it's a good one. In Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 and 27, uh, we read that we're all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. And for as many, as, you, uh, as many of you that have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. That's that interesting phrase, put on Christ. Like I said, I've used this analogy before, but if you think about Halloween time, and a little kid puts on a costume, Say they want to be a pirate for Halloween. Well, they put on a pirate costume. You're not going to consider it weird if he walks around slashing stuff with a sword and saying, Arr! and, you know, shiver me timbers and stuff like that. He put on the costume. He's playing his part. Well, when we put on Christ, using that analogy, when we put on Christ, we're expected to act a certain way. We're expected to play our part. And, you know, you, you start off as as a, a baby and grow to an adult in life, you start off as a babe in Christ and you get that costume on and you're learning how to play the part. That's what growing, growing in Christ means. You put on Christ, you learn how to play your part. And as you learn how to play that part, as you learn how to be a good Christian and to follow in Jesus' example, you start to respond differently to situations. <clears throat> Excuse me. You know, whereas before, you know, a buddy would call you and say, hey, let's go see this movie, let's go get a couple of drinks, you know, where before you would say, yeah, cool, let's go. Once you start living that image, live, you know, putting on Christ and living that role, you start to, to push away and say, no, I, I'm good, y'all go ahead, you know, things like that. Well, what you want to watch on TV, what you want to be entertained by starts to change as well. And here's where the similarities with Brother Dyer's lesson comes in. He's, he spoke about the, uh, the, the transformed man. Well, this, this is kind of a little bit about the transformation. You know, what you watch on TV, what you want to see at the movies, 
what you want to hear while you're in public becomes different. You know, if, if you go uh, to see a stand-up comedian and they start, you know, spewing out foul language, well, I just paid $35 for these tickets when the right thing is to get up and leave. You know, you have the, the world part of you saying, man, I don't want to waste this money. But the other part, the more important part, saying, hey, get up and leave. You don't need to be here. Nobody needs to see you here. You don't need to be here. You know, you no longer wish to be a part of that life. Um, we realize... You know, as you grow in this image, as you grow in this, this role, you know, you put on Christ, you grow in the role, you realize that there's things that you shouldn't be doing. Now, James wrote, uh, Therefore to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him is sin. If you know to do a good thing, and you don't do it, it's sin. Well, if you know that the right thing is to turn the channel, to get up and leave, to, you know, Excuse yourself from the conversation. If you know that's a good thing to do and you don't do it, you're in trouble. I mean, plain and simple. To him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Something you may need to, to, to think about. And uh, as we start growing in this role, we start to avoid those temptations. You don't, you don't put yourself in those uncomfortable positions anymore. <coughs> Now, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 2 and verse 11 says, For we are unto God a sweet Savior of Christ and them that are saved. Now, here, here's another analogy for you. But have any of you ever walked through uh, like a, a botanical gardens or a rose garden or you know, a place where there's a whole lot of flowers? Well, when you leave that place, you still smell like flowers. You still smell like you've been out, uh, you know, pollen and everything's still, uh, still sticking to you. Well, if you go up to somebody and, and start talking to them, they're going to wonder, you know, hey, where have you been? You smell like, you know, you smell like roses. You know, where have you been? Well, and like I said, this is another analogy. We kind of need to have that same attitude about our role as a Christian. You know, when we uh, immerse ourselves in the Word, when we dive in, when we learn all we can, and when that change starts to be made, when we start to act like a Christian and play that role... People can tell, you know, just, just like they can smell those flowers on you. Well, they can look at you and they can tell that you're not the same person. They can tell that, that, that you're different. And that's one of our goals as a Christian, I think. It's not specifically stated, but one of our goals is to be different and set that example that it's okay to be different, that it's okay to not like what the world likes. And setting that strong example is, uh, I think, one of the main points, uh, at least in this day and age, uh, that people need to see. You know, a lot of a lot of the times people say, well, I didn't go to church because I went there and, you know, saw the guy who was preaching and praying, and then the next week I saw him drinking at a bar. You know, being, being a hypocrite, that's not the right example. If somebody comes in and they hear what the Church of Christ has to say, and then they see somebody, you know, totally not doing what they say, they're not going to come back. And setting that good example is important to increasing our numbers both here at Pippin and across the world. <coughs> and Jesus was by far and above the greatest and best example of how we're supposed to live. Uh, as a man, he was humble, he was peaceful, and he knew about God, he knew the Scriptures. He was sinless and perfect. Those are the two we have trouble with. But we can definitely strive to be humble and 
and peaceful and knowledgeable about God. Those are things that we have the power to do. And, and since we have that power, we should definitely strive to set that example. Now, we've kind of looked at, at the world, and we've looked at what God wants. Now let's look at the conflict. What happens when these two ideas clash? Well, in uh, 1 John 5, uh, verses 4 and 5, it says, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and thus is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world, but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God? Overcoming the world. It says here in Scripture, 1 John chapter 5, 4 and 5, We're born of God, we can overcome the world. There should be no doubt in your mind, no problem, no, I guess, the idea that, oh, I'm going to be missing something if I don't stay with the world or agree with the world. There should be no conflict in your brain about, should I be able to, you know, should I overcome the world? It's, it shouldn't be a question. Now, what happens when you don't agree with the world? What happens when you stand up for what you believe in? You stand up for what Jesus, for the example that Jesus set, and they don't agree with you. What happens? Well, in the scripture reading that uh, Brother Jason read, and I'll, I'll read it again here, uh, John said, basically, the world's going to hate you. It's a strong word, even back, even back in the, the languages that, that uh, were used to write the Bible. Hate is a strong word. And John says, again in chapter 15, uh, starting in verse 18, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I said unto you, The servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. The world's going to hate you. Is that okay? You can answer. Is that okay? Yeah, that's okay. I'm okay with that. doesn't hurt my feelings at all. The Bible also says we're going to be mocked. We're going to be made fun of, called names. And Jude, now, uh, Jude is, is one of my favorite books because in the first couple of verses he says, well, I was going to talk to you about the common salvation. Of course, I'm paraphrasing. Uh, I'm going to talk about the common salvation, but instead I'm going to talk about contending for the faith. This is a guy who, he had a plan, he had a, he had a, a reason for what he was writing, and then he decided something else was more important. Well, in Jude, of course, there's only one chapter, starting in verse 17. But, beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how that they told you there should be mockers in the last time, who should walk away after their own ungodly lusts. These be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the Spirit. This is Jude, in his one chapter, telling us what's going to happen in the future. Pretty much come, pretty much come true. There, there, there's no really conflict there. This kind of seems like a, a kind of sorrowful statement from him. He goes, "Know that there are going to be mockers in the last time, walking after their own ungodly lusts." But he follows right up after it, starting in verse 20, saying, "But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God." Looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Keep yourselves in the love of God. I wanted to, if I could have, if I had a, 
a board over here, I'd have quotations and have it flashing and, and all that stuff. Keep yourselves in the love of God. This is his response to the mockers walking after their own ungodly lusts. This is people making fun of us, people following the world. Our response should be, keep yourselves in the love of God at all times. <coughs> now, here in America, right now, you cannot be prosecuted for... Uh, you know, speaking your religious beliefs. Uh, unfortunately, that's not so in other places. In Sweden, a, a pastor, I don't know what denomination he was, but a pastor named uh, Aki Green was jailed for one month for a hate crime because he preached against homosexuality in a sermon. He was in jail for one month because somebody in the audience was offended by what he said, accused him of a hate crime, and he was convicted of it. One month in jail. Uh, Canada has a uh, Bible as hate literature bill. Put that in quotations. Bible as hate literature. This is a bill. This is a law in Canada. It makes publicly criticizing homosexuality a crime in Canada. Whichever way is north, that way. Publicly criticizing homosexuality is a crime there. You know, a lot of people have been fined a fine. You, you pay money because you did this. Or their businesses will be closed down uh, or go to jail for stating your belief on homosexuality if it were to offend somebody else. Um, a British couple, this is in England, uh, some time ago was refused the ability to adopt a child because on their adoption application they said that they were Christians and they you know, thought homosexuality was bad. Well, the adoption agency denied their application to adopt because, well, what if we give you a homosexual child? You'll, you know, discriminate against it. It won't be happy. This, I mean, this is current, like, within the last year or two. This is stuff that's happening right now. Well, unfortunately, with all the stuff with the Iraq War and Anna Nicole Smith and, and the Virginia Tech thing, uh, most of us missed uh, a bill that recently got passed here in America. Uh, it was H.R. 254, or it was dubbed uh, the David Ray Hate Crime Prevention Act of 2007, or David's Law is what they call it. Basically what it does is change the language of a hate crime instead of saying, you know, physical, uh, physical abuse or, you know, damage caused by a, uh, how is it? I'm trying to think. It's basically a crime because... He thought I was gay, or because I was black, or because I was, you know, a, a woman. That's what a hate crime is now. It's, you know, physical uh, uh, cutting, stabbing, beating up, whatever, because they're a minority or of their sexual uh, orientation. But the language was changed to read a perceived, you know, discrimination. It used, you know, so now with this law. If a, if a thief were to rob somebody, if just rob a white man, they would go to jail for three or four years. If that man happened to be gay, they would go to jail for 25 to 30. Because that gay man could say he perceived that this thief stole from me because I was gay. That's, and like I said, nobody's heard of this law because it kinda, they kind of slid it through. And a lot of people, uh, you know, conservative politics aside, a lot of, you know, some of our religious leaders in the church look at this and can see where it's heading. It's, it's heading into, 
hate crime legislation that includes the Bible. It's going to head to you know people going to jail for, for talking out against homosexuality. Somebody somewhere is going to get their feelings hurt, and they're going to get a good lawyer, and that lawyer is going to put on a good case and set a precedent that, you know, if you hurt my feelings, you go to jail. And, I mean, that's where this is all going. And unfortunately, there's not going to be much we can do to stop it. Um, but again, if it does come to that, if you can go to jail or be fined or something for speaking against, you know, things that are bad, is that okay? I'm okay with it. As long as what I'm saying is right, what somebody else does to me is irrelevant. What they do to me for it is irrelevant. It might ruin my life. I might go to jail and, and miss a house payment, lose a house. But it's worth it. Because in, well, because, and it's, and it's nice to be able to, con to conclude this with a, with a thus saith the Lord. And in Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 10, says, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you, revile you, and persecute you, and shall say all manner of evil things against you falsely, for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad. Let me read that again. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. So here's Matthew saying specifically, Rejoice and be exceeding glad, when you are persecuted for righteousness sake. You know, we have to understand that, that the world is not going to be happy that you don't agree with them. And we have to embrace our identity as a Christian and stand up for what we think. We have to understand that we're going to be made fun of and discriminated against our entire lives. And we have to be, you know, consider ourselves all the better for it. We have to consider it a blessing to be called out when you're a Christian. Consider it a blessing when somebody says, oh, don't, don't invite him. He's, he's a party pooper. He's a Bible thumper. He's just going to talk to us about Bible stuff. You know. Uh, consider it a blessing when, when the world finds a way to push you down. Rejoice and be exceeding glad. Just remember that. 1 John uh, chapter 2, verse 15 says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh... Lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world. I know that each of us has a different group of people that we deal with every day. You know, most of us, you know, in, in the area that we live in, it's, it's full of, of congregations of the church and, and denominations and stuff like that. Most of the people you guys deal with on a daily basis are religious in, in some sort, and you're not going to have a lot of conflict. But you've got to know that someday you're going to have to make an unpopular choice. Someday you're going to have to make a choice that might lose you a friend, uh, might get you made fun of, might, might lose you a job. You're going to have to make that choice and deal with the consequences. But the good thing is, it's what you're supposed to do. It's called life. And the better we live it, the better reward we're going to get from it. And that concludes the lesson. Um, I hope it's been somewhat informative, maybe eye-opening, or maybe I'm just, uh, uh, I don't know. Um, Brother Terry has, has picked out a, an invitation song. Um, for those of you who are not members of the church, not this congregation, but just members of the Church of Christ, uh, we can assist you in that. Uh, you 
be baptized, you know, confess that Jesus is the, the Son of God, and go through the plan of salvation, and you can become a member of, of the Church of Christ. Uh, for those of us here who, who may have, and, and I'm sure there's more than just me, but have realized that maybe the world has a little too hard of a grasp on you. Maybe uh, the world has just, a, you know, Satan's pretty good at, at sticking his hooks in you and pulling him down, pulling you down. Uh, maybe uh, somebody has uh, something they need to uh, get off their chest. Um, if any of that pertains to you, please come forward and, and let us take care of it now.